0: Hello
1: and welcome to episode 69 of Tea or Books. I'm Simon. I'm Rachel. And in this episode we'll be discussing wide world versus small world in terms of the worlds that authors create. And in the second half we'll be revealing how we felt about the books that we chose to uh, chose for each other. Uh, Rachel chose Season Timber by Dorothy Canfield-Fisher for me and I chose Blue Remembered Hills by Rosemary Sutcliffe for her Um I don't at all know what Rachel thought of it. Rachel knows a bit what I thought of season two because she got so panicky that I hated it. That I had to reassure her that I didn't. <laughs> so, uh, but the rest will remain a mystery until the second half. But before yeah. we get on that, Rachel, how are you and what are you reading?
0: Very well, thank you. I'm on half turn, which um, is always joy um as my brother always says it seems like i'm always on holiday <laughs> to which my response is well you can always sign up to be a teacher if you want the holidays too um so i do? have been um he doesn't do anything at the moment actually he's between jobs
1: yeah, yeah he could do yeah it doesn't sound like he's got a lot of time at work then so
0: no so you know he's actually fine um but I have I've been to Edinburgh for a few days, which was very nice and unseasonably nice weather as well. So mm. I was very fortunate. Had some very nice walks. Um, went down to the beach, which I've never done before in Edinburgh, which was very nice. I didn't know
1: you could go to the beach in Edinburgh.
0: Yeah, you can. So we went to Portobello, which is a lovely sandy beach.
2: Wow.
0: Um, and you could just get the bus there.
2: Nice.
0: Yeah. Great. Um, and I, I have obviously had very long train journeys there and back. It takes about four and a half hours to get uh, between London and Edinburgh. Um, so I started reading a very long book, which I thought would entertain me. So on the way up, I read, um, I started reading The Crimson Petal in the White by Michelle Faber, which is, as those of you who read my book might know, um, I'm doing my best to read the unread books on my shelf this year. So, um, I got that one. And thanks to my library app, Overdrive, which I'm always banging on about, um, <laughs> I was able to borrow it from the library rather than having to carry my big hardback with me.
2: So okay. I was reading all
0: that. And then on the way back, I decided I just wanted a, a light-hearted read. So I read the whole of Death on, on the Nile on my yeah. way back. Agatha Christie, which I hadn't read before. And I know they're making a movie of it that I think coming out this year or next year yeah. or something. Um, so I thought, oh, that would be fun to read. Did, and I really enjoyed it.
1: Did you know the solution before you read it?
0: Well, no, oh, I did When I got to the end, I thought, oh, I should have seen that coming, but I didn't.
1: My confusion with the film, obviously has not come out yet, but the end of uh, Murder on the Orient Express leads is with someone saying to Poirot, come quickly, Poirot, there's been a death on the Nile, which, you know, is a very funny way to set up the new one. But... If they are following the book, then the death on the Nile doesn't happen until quite some time after Poirot's arrived, so I'm not quite sure how they're going to sort that one out.
0: No, remains to be
1: seen. I'm sure it'll just be a lot of Kenneth Branagh staring pensively at the camera anyway, so oh,
0: Kenneth
1: in lieu of any plot. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I'm not on half-term, but um, I'm otherwise okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have been on holiday twice this year already, so I can't really complain um have in fact, have they has one of those been since we last talked? I don't know. I went to Frenchman's Creek, got it in Cornwall, which was oh, yes, which was lovely, no,
0: how lovely, I love Cornwall, yes,
1: yeah, so it's right at the the bottom of Cornwall, so near the well, not quite the bottom, but um near the Halford uh, and it's supposedly where Daphne de Maurier based at Frenchman's Creek, and Colin and I got that for Mum and Dad for a Christmas present. oh, be lovely. Um, and whilst there, in fact, Dad read Frenchman's Creek, so he's up to speed, and it's one Wonderful. of my mum's favourite books. Uh, yes, I had to go a day later than planned because of the snow, which <laughs> was in the way, which the same shame. Ugh, weather. I know. Um, and I'm reading a really good book called The Book of William by Paul Collins, which is non-fiction about the first Folio, Shakespeare's first Folio. Oh. Uh,
2: yeah,
1: so it's uh, in five acts is how he's framed it Very, you know um acts with scenes but yes the first section was all about how it came to be created um what what sort of literary society was like how they got the different manuscripts and things and i and i think it's going to now trace what happened to i uh photos in general i think rather than specific ones throughout the next few centuries like when they fell in and out of favor who owned them etc and it's all yeah, interspersed with him at an auction waiting for it to waiting for one to be sold so yeah i i love i think yeah i love the books about shakespeare that it seems to have attracted some really good ones so i love bill bryson's book on shakespeare and i read james shapiro's contested will a couple of oh, years, yeah. years ago which um what about the different theories about who wrote shakespeare's plays. Uh more about how they came to prominence at different times shapiro is very clear that shakespeare wrote shakespeare's plays, and it has fairly mm-hmm. unarguable <laughs> arguments for that but um yeah, I I don't read Shakespeare that often, but books about Shakespeare I really enjoy.
0: Well, it is—it's all very fascinating. I need to read more about that sort of thing. Yeah. But you know, I spend too much time reading actual Shakespeare to want to read anything about him afterwards.
1: That's fair enough. Yes, I mean, I do yeah. I do enjoy reading Shakespeare, but not not all that often. And in fact, the the edition I have is extremely heavy, so I wouldn't be able to <laughs> to leave the house with it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah right first half small world versus wide world this is Rachel's suggestion thank you Rachel
0: yes no you're very welcome
1: um, and what did you have anything particular in mind when you were when you suggested it
0: do you know what I did I was thinking about how um, Emma is the mm. one of the um, oh, well I think the only one of um, Jane Austen's books that is static mm,
1: that's true yes
0: um in that it stays within the same community well obviously apart from you know when they go to Box Hill for the day, but mm. um whereas other novels the heroines travel
2: mm.
0: and go to different places and i I thought it' was interesting to think about how a novel changes when it's like where the focus changes if if you think in terms of you know do you get to know other people in the community if if the heroine travels or do you not that's interesting does that, does that make sense
1: yeah, yeah because um. When I was jotting down different options, one of the ones that came to my mind in terms of the travelling seems to me slightly out of kilter with the rest of the the novel is Mansfield Park, where she has that trip to Portsmouth yes. uh, for a bit, which um, I'm sure it, it illuminates her background and all that sort of thing. But it seems one of the the only of the Austen novels where the heroine travels, where to me it feels like it doesn't quite work with the, the structure of the novel or doesn't quite um i don't know it sort of diminishes the, the focus on Mansfield park without adding enough in my mind But, but.
0: well i think it's there to, to to show fanny the fact that she couldn't ever possibly go back to that way of life isn't it
1: yeah true i think maybe it just works better in in you know pride and prejudice or whatever where she, yeah the trips to Derbyshire and all that sort of thing um yeah, when, when he says this, my mind immediately went to all sorts of books that are about small communities or that stay in one place. And I was thinking, as so often, of the Marilyn Robinson novels. All of them are really. Yes. Um, in fact, all of them, I think, are set in a single place, even housekeeping before the, the Gilead books. And whilst we, well, in, in Leela, we do see her traveling a bit. Uh, and the fact that outsiders have arrived is really important. I think often if you've got a focus on a small community, then it is the entry of an outsider that really throws into sharp relief how static the rest of the novel has been. If yeah. You know, whether for good or ill. But, um, yeah, that was, that was the sort of first thing I thought of. And things like Cranford, where it's a small mm-hmm. community. Um, and it's a sort of, uh, sort of book that I, um instinctively drawn to I think is a, a small community because I love um how that brings out both you know looking at maybe like Shirley jackson's novels where it's the small community is oppressive and haunting or you might get a bar Pym novel where it's comic and um you know everyone knows everyone knows' business but it's it's not as haunting in the same way and then some I guess that are celebratory of that, but I find it the the easiest way to immerse myself in a reading world is just to to um if there is only one world, I guess that makes sense. You sort of have to, you're you're immediately within those confines. Um, And I think if an author can do that well, then it is really memorable.
0: Yeah. I mean, I really like getting to know a community and um, like a town of characters and all the different people that live there and the way in which they communicate with each other and the dynamics, Mm -hmm. um, especially when, you know, there's a busybody and the gossip and all that kind of thing. Um, and I think that's what I really enjoy about Emma um, more than the other books. You really get that sense of getting to know mm. a wide range of other characters who aren't just living in the house or aren't just family members. You get to know um, like people of all different social classes, which I think is quite different to the other novels. And I think from Emma as well, I enjoy that so much because I get more of a sense from that, certainly after having visited her house, that that was the world that she actually mm. experienced. Mm. Um, and, you know, that's exactly like, um, Chawton, the village where she was. You had rich people rubbing shoulders with very poor people. And I love that dynamic of seeing a range of different people's perspectives. So I love Cranford as well. That's, I think that's one of my favourite yeah. 19th century novels. Very different to her other books. Um, and I also really enjoy, um, one of my favourite books from the 20th century that is set in a community and doesn't move is South Riding by Winifred Holtby. Okay which, uh, have you read?
1: I somehow haven't, no, I haven't read any of her
2: novels.
0: Oh, maybe that should be one of the things we
2: do.
0: Oh yeah. So she is, um, the book is set in, in a fictional South riding area of Yorkshire. And it's, again, you see a cross section of the community. It's when it, the kind of catalyst for it is when a a young woman comes to the town to be the new headmistress of the school. Hmm. And, you know, she has radical ideas and, um, (gasps) you know half the town love her and half the town don't you know, are up in arms about her trying to change things and through her that i like what you said about the outsider's perspective coming in it illuminates attitudes and people's prejudices and um changes people and it's all very i, I think if if you had if the book was focused around sarah who's the main character and, and her moving to different schools you wouldn't have the same effects um And it is very much how an individual can change a community or also how a community can turn and attack um, a newcomer. So you get that very much in um, Shirley Jackson's books, I think, Mm -hmm. but also... The, the bookshop I just wrote that Penfield down yes Gerald yeah, yeah. which that we read and I saw the film of that actually it was on Netflix um
1: oh, yes I've had bad things is it is it better uh, than I think
0: it was all right it was just very slow and it had Bill Nighy and I can't stand Bill <laughs> Nighy was,
1: <laughs> was, he, and was he playing Bill Nighy
0: he was playing Bill Nighy he did an excellent <laughs> job of playing Bill Nighy including you know the hands and everything um <laughs> but it's you know again that's that's a really interesting book about a community of people and in that book it's the community that is incredibly um malevolent towards this newcomer for no particular reason Mm -hmm. and um it's really interesting to see that small town attitude of people who've always lived there and things have always been done this particular way and they can't possibly have anybody new coming in and telling them what to do or changing anything even though that change actually benefits them um and they haven't really got anything else to do um to Mm. with what she wants to do um i'm trying to think now of, of books where i've enjoyed where characters roam around and i think
1: well before you go into that i just want to say i think it's interesting how difficult it is to do a small community now i think we, you know there's some examples like yes. the workshop from the later 20th century but in this in the 21st century when we've not only got much cheaper and more available travel than ever before but also the internet of course connects these communities a great distance um mm. and i think it's much harder to do that isolated community again whether that's a positive sense of isolation or a negative one the, the example i thought of um from a more modern one have you read the snow child by owen evie
0: no i haven't
1: it's really it's beautiful it's very good it's set in alaska and the authors from alaska and i think um you need that sort of natural isolation because yeah they it's about essentially two couples living in deep snow somewhere in the middle of nowhere um and so uh, and it's uh, the novel is a is a, a updating of a uh, fairy tale about a childless couple who um sort of create a child out of snow i guess um who then complicates their lives in in moving ways but uh yeah i think with, you either have to go to the most um I don't know, untraceable parts of of the world now to do that sort of thing or you have to put it in a fantasy world or you have to put it in historical fiction because otherwise I think certainly there are very few authors who are living those sorts of cut off lives now in the way that Jane Austen or, you know, the Bronte's or someone would be able to write about a small village and not where they didn't leave that often. And it would sound realistic. Whereas unless you're not able to for health reasons or you live in Alaska or, you know, you're agoraphobic (laughs) or something, then there's, yeah, it's unlikely that you're going to be able to write, um, from experience about that sense of isolation.
0: Yeah, and I, I think also it reflects the more kind of modern attitude. And people love reading about growth and change, don't they? And in mm, order to yeah. grow and change, you need to, to move on with your life, to use, you know, cliched phrases, and you need to, to see, and, and you see that in, um, Charles Dickens novels, for example, where the characters move from the countryside to the city, and that's where, um, they have their kind of coming of age. That's where they experience life, and, I think um a lot of the time now you see a lot of novels particularly well, of which I can think of no examples. <laughs> um Elizabeth Strout is is quite good at like my name is Lucy Barton for example. Um and anything is possible about this main character Lucy Barton who moves from this very isolated community precisely because she's fed up of everybody knowing her business. Um and going to the city is what changes her life because all of a sudden she can be anonymous. Mm-hmm. Um, and that removal from that I think in many ways, the small community novel can, certainly 19th century ones, that they're seen as a kind of a positive thing. The community is something mm-hmm. nurturing. Whereas, um, now if, you, if you write a novel set in a small community, it seems to be, to be making a point about suffocation and, mm-hmm. um, backwardness and, and that kind of thing. Um, certainly a novel that I read recently, Larchfield by Polly Clark um which I've talked about before. I yeah, think. yeah,
2: yeah.
0: Um where this um so it's set over two time periods, once um one half the novel in nineteen thirties in the, with the life of W. H. Auden and in the modern day with a, a young poet who moves to Helenborough, Helensborough, uh which is a um seaside suburb of Glasgow, and she finds that move. She's moved from London and she moved to this isolated seaside town and everyone's horrible to her and she's lonely. And again, that sense of it's kind of the opposite of a buildings remand. She goes from the city where she had this full life and she moves to the city, uh, to this town and she becomes incredibly depressed. Very, she doesn't want to leave her house. And rather than kind of seeing this move to this new place as being a positive thing, it's very much like, oh, small communities crush people. It yeah. crushes your creativity. It crushes your a spirit and in order to be free you need to live somewhere more cosmopolitan etc which i think is quite an interesting reception yeah see, isn't it
1: i think i find it quite frustrating as sort of a lazy device that any small town will be oppressive because i mean i think it can be done really well but i think it's been done so often that it's just i mean it's not my experience of small town life for example <laughs> or small village life uh which to me is always much friendlier than a city but um because you actually know who your neighbours are but but yeah <laughs> uh i did read um Nell i Ste- know
2: who my neighbours no, are no you don't <laughs> i've one. <heard> them once
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh Nell steven's bleaker house i read recently which i really enjoyed that's non-fiction where she moves to bleaker island which is one of the falkland island uh, falkland islands to write a novel um and there there are max three min one population of that island so that really is <laughs> going to an isolated community that is just wow. herself and you know the birds for the most of the time which i really enjoyed but yeah when i was thinking about um ones that are more wide world the first one that came to mind was travels with my aunt by gray and green where, oh yes yeah which i is my is it my favorite gray and green i've read i do think the end of the affair is brilliant but very different Um and Tra- charles my Aunt's just funny uh but yes dashing all over the place to many different countries. I, As long-term listeners will know, I do have a problem with the Brits Abroad type novel, so I tend not to read books <laughs> where British people tra- travel to other countries, because I'd rather read books by people from those countries. But I will make an exception for something like Charles and My Aunt, because lots of countries. What, what was your um, first thought for Wider World?
0: I'm trying to think. What I would choose is probably being my most favourite one. I mean, I do enjoy reading books that have got an element of travel to them, Mm -hmm. because I like seeing new places. And one of the books I read when I moved to um, New York many means ago now, um, was Travels with Charlie by John Steinbeck, which is, um, it's kind of non-fiction, so it's less, um, it's a bit different, but it's, it's his account of his, um, he decided to take a year out and take his, you know, i don't know what they call them in america not caravan but you know like a Mm. big truck basically um and he drove it all around america because he wanted to meet people and experience america outside of the places where he would lived i think his aim was to go to every state i don't know if he made it in the end um but that was really interesting to kind of see how as he wrote as he traveled his his perceptions changed like he'd had he had a lot of stereotypes about mm. what he thought he would find in different areas as, as we all do I'm sure um and and he he writes quite interestingly about how those stereotypes are challenged when you actually meet and, and talk to people um I think as well I've really enjoyed um for example let me think <laughs> what I'm thinking about um like there's some historical fiction books where characters move to different um, places and they meet different people and have different experiences. So, for example, Birdsong, which I really, um, I know a lot of people don't enjoy, but I did. I do enjoy it, mm. um, where the main character, you start in France before the war and then you move to um, the war and you kind of go backwards and forwards to different places throughout and you go back to England and you see what's happening there. And I really enjoyed that sense of... Um, what, what i really like about it is that you go to the same places but in completely different time periods and you can really visibly see the the effect of war and how it's transformed the landscape and the people through um kind of seeing what it was like in 1910 as opposed to 1915 and i really enjoyed enjoyed that but i also enjoyed the fact that you go back to England at the same time, and you can see the contrast between like the character moves between England and France, and you see the contrast in characters. And I think that's um, and that changes his attitude towards England, and actually makes him quite negative towards English people, which is quite interesting. Um, so I think having that movement between countries and how that impacts your attitude towards your own
2: nation is quite interesting. That's
1: interesting because yeah, I do find in general, that if something, if a book is moving a lot between different communities, whether within the same country or not, that it, it's difficult to keep the, not the momentum necessary, but the continuity, I suppose, by definition. Because you're losing all the previous people you've seen before, and you're entering a new community, and the world building has to start again, or whatever devices are needed for that. Um, and, I don't know, I think I, I, I'm more drawn to a book which sets up a world and then stays there, and then Something, like I said, with Mansfield Park, I find with I Capture the Castle by Dodie Smith say that it, that time they moved to London and it, for me, dilutes it and it isn't, isn't effective in the, in the way that it was probably intended to be. Um, I find that, yeah, unless there's a really, really good reason for, for taking the action somewhere else, if you've, if you've set up the small community, then, um, then here it sort of just diminishes the overall effect. Whereas, whereas on the other hand, I really like it when you've got the outsider who comes in and exposes the small community for what it is, or you know tries to join it or whatever. Well,
0: yeah, you have got the cl- cold comfort farmers, classic of that. Yeah. Right? Yes.
1: Oh gosh, yes, great choice. Yeah, oh. which is brilliant. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, I think um, I, I think that you're you're right. I think a lot of the time when you've, I think we as readers we're quite character focused readers and we really love to get to know characters and and feel that personal connection with characters so i do tend to find it annoying in novels where you're introduced to people and then it's like oh okay well i'm moving now and i'm going here and, and you never see those characters again and often i think oh i really want to see more of that person i want to find out what happened to them and you don't because you've you've moved on you're not there anymore um and I can't think of any examples of books like that. I'm sure and <laughs> sure
1: listeners are filling in their own.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, um, and, I, and I agree. I think it's nice. Sometimes you do read books and you think, well, I think you've just moved here because you did a lot of research about this. <laughs> and, and yeah. you know, you want to or it's a kind of a bit gratuitous that, oh, I just want to write about this city or I want to, you know, it, it's obviously like a set piece scene that they wanted to write um, and it doesn't really add anything, though I do think that when Jane Austen moves her characters, particularly to the seaside, she always likes to make a point about the seaside just being kind of loose. Mm. Um, like, for example, in um, Persuasion, when yeah. they go to Lyme Regis and Louisa ends up falling off the what's it called?
1: What's the it cob. called? The cob.
0: The cob, thank you. Um, and, you know, the whole point there is when people go to the seaside, they make stupid decisions. <laughs> and, um, you know it's it's a place of loose morals and it also is where we meet um Walter, you know what's i can't remember anyone's name today i've not been at work for too long um, Walter, so Walter, like the the younger version the one who's going to inherit from her father
1: oh yes i can't remember his name either but yes
0: because, you know people know who i mean and um again because she's met him for the first time at the seaside we therefore associate him with um immorality and loose loose morals like loose behavior and we instinctively don't trust him because that's where we've met him quite and, right Yes. <laughs> our, and, Speaking of someone and, from
1: landlocked Worcestershire, yeah. yes, absolutely.
0: So you do. I mean, she uses changes in setting, which might initially feel like, oh, but I want to go back to here. Actually, she's using them very purposely for a reason. Just like you know, I disagree. I actually think the Portsmouth part of Mansfield Park is is really important because you see exactly what Fanny's come from and what she's been rescued from, and um it really en- enables you to also have a look at the contrast between. Um, Fanny's mother and, um, Lady Bertram, and you see on what a knife edge a, a life can be changed.
1: I think one um, of the reasons I prefer it within the other novels is that it's, I think it's almost always, I'm trying to think now, but it was, it's more than one character who goes on and they can continue the same sort of relationships we've seen before, just in a different place. Yeah. Um, whereas to, to sending Fanny on her own to a bunch of characters we've heard about but haven't seen before, um, felt too disjointing for me. I see your point. And I was also thinking to take another tack about crime fiction because originally I was thinking often crime fiction is the quintessential closed community. You know, they're all in a yeah. locked house and someone's done it. But then you have the other sort that I was thinking Four Days Wonder by Milne that we did a while ago where you've got to go off on a trail and there's, there's quite a lot of examples in, in golden-age detective fiction particularly of mm-hmm. you know, they've got to go here to get this clue and then that leads them here blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, so I quite like that crime fiction bridges those two and I think when done well, can take the best parts of either of those and use them for the genre really well.
0: Yeah, I I, I agree. I mean, I can't believe i think of that. But yeah, the I think crime novels are brilliant, especially when um, I love the Golden Age ones that rely on the train and mm. they're always going off to Scotland or Yorkshire or whatever at the drop of a hat and they're going to get the next one in the railway guide and off they go. And I think how why that works and the location works is because... Um, you're not encouraged in crime fiction certainly not in those i mean i don't read any modern crime fiction so i'm not sure whether it would still be the same but you're not encouraged to, to connect with characters so we don't really care about any of the characters apart from obviously the the main detective character like you don't really care about the characters who are being dead or the char- being killed being dead being killed <laughs> the characters who are under suspicion like there's no sense of sadness or grief when a character dies in a crime fiction novel certainly not in agatha christie or dorothy sayers or those sorts of authors that's that's not encouraged the characters are not important it's and the settings are actually used really well like i've really enjoyed the british Ivy crime classics reproductions Mm. and and reading some of those because um i particularly enjoy ones that are set in the countryside and especially in scotland where and they describe so well the the scenery and the train journeys and the car journeys and all that kind of thing and and that and the and the contrast between city and country and I really like the Thirty Nine Steps for that as well.
1: Maybe that is why travel can, at least for for us, work better in those books because we're not worried about not, not getting the yeah. same level of character narrative because it's not as yeah. important in those books. Yeah, that's a good point.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, yes. Oh, decision time, I think. Um, and I think I've probably nailed Michaelis to the master already. Um, yeah. I, I like examples of both, but I, I will rush towards a small world closed community book.
0: Yeah, I, I thought I would end up saying the opposite, but actually thinking about it, I mean, the books that I love the most are closed communities. Um, so, yeah, I think I'll probably say the same. I think you, you get to know characters better. Great. Yeah.
1: Right, but yes. Anyone who has topic ideas, do get in touch. We were up to to late in the day before we got a topic today, so things are getting desperate. In case great, she it was can't topic, tell, though. it worked out really well in the end. But yes. <laughs> I don't even have cars versus bikes as a backup to threaten with anymore. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> um, yes, <laughs> I need I need to come up with something ridiculous as, a, as an in, uh, incentive for us to come up with something better. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Second half of the episode. For those who missed last episode, the idea was that Rachel and I would both pick a book that we thought the other one would love, and we would go away and read them and find out whether or not we did. Before you find, before we reveal whether or not we did, we'll introduce them quickly. Um, I'll I'll do the one that Rachel suggested for me, and vice versa, because we've just read them and we haven't reread the ones we suggested. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see how we go. So I yes I read I read *Season Timber* by Dorothy Canfield Fisher, which is a very long book. <laughs> <set>. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> so I've got the two books next to me on my desk now. And *Blue Remembered Hills* is so short. I was so kind. <laughs> but, but, you were very kind. Yes, I did pick a very long one last time. Um, so yes, it's set in a school for, um, for boys and girls in Vermont uh, or academy, and TC Tim. What's his surname? Can't remember known as TC by all the students is the head teacher. Um he is mid 40s. He's been there for quite a long time. Uh he is a, a widower. His he was only married very briefly to his first wife who died uh, very early in their marriage. Uh he lives with his aunt Lavinia who is sort of obstreperous and needy. Uh but he loves the school. The pupils love him and there there are two sort of main threads to the novel I guess. One is that there is a new teacher called susan who comes along with her sister delia and tc realizes that he's falling in love with her she is rather younger than than he is about 20 years younger um and then about <laughs> two-thirds of the way through the novel but so so essential to the plot that i don't think i'm to say it because it's, it's also in the blurb on the back of mine uh the school gets a big big quest and um it comes the condition they'll get a million dollars which is a lot of money of course now but particularly then in um 50s whenever it's written um, that they no sorry 39 importantly 1939 it was published there's a big request of a million dollars they'll only get if they are willing not to have any more Jewish pupils come to the school ever again mm. um, and there is this well, it's not particularly a moral quandary for TC he instantly decides that he will not go for that but they have to put it to the vote of the community yes. uh, for various reasons and mm. to see what happens at that point uh, Rachel would you like to introduce Blue Remembered Hills
0: Yes, so Blue Remembered Hills is the autobiography of the childhood of Rosemary Sutcliffe, who um, is, was a quite a famous children's writer in the middle century, middle years of the twentieth century. I um, probably her most famous book is The Eagle of the Ninth, which mm. is about Romans. I've never read it, but um, no, the kids either. at my <laughs> the kids at my school all read it and love it. Apparently, it's still very popular, um, and she writes about her childhood so her father was um in the navy so they um lived on various they moved around a lot and she writes about her childhood mostly in Kent actually which was very nice to read about Mm -hmm. um in Chatham and Sheerness and all those sorts of marshy wonderful places um and what's really interesting about her as well is that she very sadly, as a young child had juvenile arthritis um which crippled her essentially, and so she also writes about the experience of being disabled and at a time when when disability was was certainly much more of a stigma than it is now um and also about the very interesting relationship that she had with her mother, who mm. devoted her life to her daughter but at the same time made it very clear that she'd devoted her life to her daughter and the long absences of her father being away a lot and how that impacted on their relationship is is really interesting to read about so that's it, And we go up to the point of her having her first novel accepted for publication so when she's in her I think, early 20s, very late teens, early 20s
1: So Rachel, moment of truth what did you think of it? Do you
0: know what? I liked it, I didn't love it Okay. and I I wondered whether part of it was because I'd never read any of her books so I didn't feel any sense of um kind of interest in finding out about her life and and knowing about oh how was that reflected in that book or this book or that book you know I didn't have any knowledge of her whatsoever um so I felt a bit disconnected I was sort of reading it thinking well why do I care about your life if you see what I mean mm-hmm. um but I did find her writing very enjoyable and I I found her descriptions of, um, the world that she grew up in 1930s childhood really interesting and very evocative. And, um, I really felt transported. And I also found it really interesting to read about the experiences of someone who grew up disabled because I've never actually read anything, mm. um, about somebody who experienced kind of that way of life. And also she was in hospital a lot and she writes about that. Um, but I felt like, I wanted to know more about um her passion for literature or, or growing to become a writer and it all felt a bit like, well, it just happened out of by accident sort of thing. I mm, okay. didn't really feel like we got much of a an insight into that side of her and I felt, I thought that was a bit of a shame, really, because she literally stops it with and that was when my first book got published and I was like, oh, that's it. Like, I'm not going to learn anything more about you as a writer. And I know that obviously wasn't her aim for the book, but it just, um, yeah, I don't know. It, I found it a bit kind of out of, I, th- I think because it was sort of hanging out of context. I didn't know anything else about her life. It just felt a bit like I was reading the memoirs of some random old lady, which is a terrible thing to say.
1: That's <laughs> interesting. Cause yeah, I mean, I, I've never read anything by her and I didn't, I didn't think I even knew the Eagle the Ninth existed when I, when I read it. Um, and I just, yeah, I completely loved it. Largely, I think, because it was, she had this very interesting and unusual childhood, but was, and it could have been really miserable and pessimistic and misery memoir about it. But it's, I found it such a joyful and optimistic book, even when mm-hmm. she was writing about being, you know, having to stay in hospital for long stretches of her childhood. And, um, yeah, as you say, her interesting relationship with her mother, who I seems to have had undiagnosed bipolar disorder, or I don't know if anyone diagnosed it at that point, but, um, thoughts about her very sudden, uh mood swings that didn't seem to be ex- explainable all sorts of things like that um whilst at the same time we we're very affectionate about both our parents at different times mm.
0: Mm. so you, how did you first come across it
1: i think i was sent a review copy actually by slightly fox when they reprinted it i just thought oh, well, why not we'll give it a game um yeah and, and then it turns out that everyone, it seems, apart from us, has read Eagle of the Ninth and enjoyed it, but I've never liked historical fiction, so even as a child, so I wouldn't have read it then either. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, it didn't particularly make me want to go and read anything else by her, but I
0: was quite happy just to leave it No, there. I mean, I, I enjoyed her writing style, actually. Um, it's quite discursive and informal, but at the same time she manages to create a sense of, of, of who... Of people's voices and people's characters and I liked how honest she was in it you know about her mother and saying you know I'm not going to write I'm not going to write something sugary I mean I'm going to tell you how it was and I, I I thought that was quite brave I mean her mother was is obviously been dead for many years so she's got no reason not to but um I thought that was quite nice but I didn't get any sense like I say of her as a writer so I didn't read it thinking oh okay well now I'm interested to go and read about this or that because you know that's where you don't i mean all of her novels that she's written are historical novels mm-hmm. but you don't get any real sense from from her memoir of of where those interests came from yeah i'm, I'm not, not
1: even sure i knew she was a writer <laughs> whilst i was reading it so maybe that was just didn't in my mind. I <laughs> just just enjoying it for what it was i guess maybe i suppose before we talk about it more i'll say um, more about what i thought about season timber so I, rachel got very panicked that i hated it because i just complained about how long it was basically <laughs> so i had to reveal that i was not hating it but i in fact the very phrase i was going to use was i liked it but didn't love it <laughs> so we've we've both done okay with recommending each other yeah. books but not brilliantly um, so I think it is really well written. TC is a really interesting and a very lovable character whilst also being flawed. Um, and I thought the bit when the bequest comes in and the, and how they try and persuade the town and all the debates uh, was really interesting, but it's just, it's far too long and it's, <laughs> and the structure is so bizarre. So that you've got sort of two to three hundred pages. With more or less nothing happens which I don't mind in a book but it's, it's more just him sort of realising he loves this younger woman and what to do about it yeah. and then when the book comes in he sort of forgets about that she's not mentioned for about 150 pages <laughs> he it on. is very much
0: a book of two parts, isn't
1: it it's, it's basically two books mm. I feel like it, if one had been the sequel to the other then it could have had this quite interesting I mean um, sort of melancholic look at what it's like to love a younger woman who you don't think will probably love you back and how, how to run a school and then there's much more it felt like a moral quandary, if it like The Warden by Trollope, the second half of it. But yeah, together, it was just, I don't know, it just, they didn't cohere and it was just, the whole book could have been 200 pages shorter and I think would have been better for it. But, um, so it was, yeah, it was frustrating because I could see there was a brilliant book in there and I just didn't think it was the book it could have been. But you obviously didn't have that problem.
0: No, I mean, I remember when I was reading it thinking, I did feel a bit that the the, the Jewish part of it was, um, and, the, and the quandary and everything, was a bit shoehorned in to make it relevant, um, considering the, the date of publication. And I thought, well, you know, well, what really this book is about is a man who's in, in, in love with someone who he can't have. And it actually was this sort of heartbreaking portrayal of, of a hopeless love, which, I mean, I, I just found, I mean awful i've just find um, i awful for people in that situation um i did think that it was interesting to have the um the kind of the question of what do we do when we're tempted to i mean i know he's not tempted but that idea of how can you influence a community and Mm -hmm. and how Mm -hmm. you know how can you stand up for what is right and i really enjoyed that and i thought it was a wonderful book to have been written at the time when it was written and to, when i think you're thinking a lot of people didn't care or turned a blind eye and things like that you know actually a lot of people were thinking this isn't right and what can we do about it and only when we work together can we confront these kind of um bigoted and racist attitudes etc and
1: that's the thing yeah. i did like because often if you read historical fiction set in the 30s and 40s if, it, if it's written quite recently then you know the nice characters that always the ones who are very anti-anti-semitic if you see what i mean they're the yeah. ones who always have the very progressive views uh and in you think okay sure but there were people at the time who did not have progressive views who are otherwise seemed nice yeah. so i did like the fact that this was written in 1939 america was not in the war yet um yeah. i mean i'm not sure what, what month it was published the war might not have started yet um and she's still able to give this character who in many ways is is fairly old-fashioned but has the correct views about the treatment of the Jews Mm. Um, and yeah so it was nice to know you could read it and think this isn't just a retrospective sort of whitewashing of what people were like but actually was what she was saying at the time
0: and I think it's a wonderful portrayal of of how standing up for what is right is so important and how it is kind of an inspiration to see people who will turn around and say, no, I'm not going to do that because this is more important than that. And I just found him a very admirable character. And, and actually it was reading this book that, that made me finally decide that I wanted to be a teacher. Oh, really? Yeah. because I read this many years ago um, when I was in New York and um, I, yeah, and it was when I got back from New York and I applied to become a teacher mostly because I mean, I'd obviously been thinking about it for a while, but after reading this, I was like, that's the kind of person I want to be. Oh, wow. Well, gosh.
1: Yeah. And to, to merge through that, I think there's, there's some really nice scenes I thought in Be Remembered Hills about teaching and Miss Beck's school. You see, mm-hmm. this, this very old fashioned, even at the time, she seemed to think it was quite old fashioned school where, you know, Miss Beck has no teaching qualifications. Yes. She, yes, doesn't really know what she's doing, but, you know, it, she, again, she writes quite joyfully about it. And I, I loved reading that depiction of a um the sort of school that could exist in a small community that didn't have offstead and didn't have yes, any, anyone didn't really seeing what happened it was just like um, you know and that leads both to this sort of lovely homespun everyone loves the teacher she's well, well respected sort of school i'm sure it also led to incredibly bad education standards in lots of places mm-hmm. but um but yeah i, I think s- it reminded me of um, the school in *The Great Western Beach* by Emma Smith when she was writing about her childhood. Um, similarly, this yeah, this this older lady in the community who can just re- do basically whatever she likes in the school, and it, for better or worse. Um, yeah, so I thought those was interesting. That they both ended up being quite a lot about schools. Obviously, that obviously season and Timber* rather more than
0: the other one. Yeah, I think it's you know. I think what Dorothy Camford always does actually, I mean she was a pioneer of the Montessori method mm-hmm. um, and she includes in all of her novels um, an element of her moral attitude towards education and what education is and I think what comes through in this book really powerfully is this idea of, of children being loved and valued and appreciated for who they are and what they can do um, and that sense of, of love comes through and I think you're right it comes through in Blue Remembered Hills as well that that sense of actually it's not what you teach children it's it's how you teach it to them that matters um and how they feel when in your classroom because no matter how good the teacher is if you don't enjoy their presence and you're not inspired by them you're not going to learn anything from them um and she says you know before she'd met this person she uh, the the teacher what's her name is you say? i've just um, found miss
2: beck
0: miss beck Beck. (laughs) um she'd never taken any interest in learning anything and it was only when she went to this school that she actually felt like she wanted to learn and she wanted to read because that's that's the teacher the teacher said to read because that was really interesting she was talking about the fact that she couldn't read for a really long time mm-hmm. um and she said something really interesting actually and i thought i've never heard anyone say that before because her mother read to her mm. really really um mature novels she was used to stories that were far more complicated than the stories that she was able to read and because she found the stories that she could read so boring
2: mm-hmm. compared
0: to the stories mm-hmm. her mum told her she didn't want to read for herself she just wanted her mum to read her those stories and that's why she didn't read for so long oh, that's um, interesting yeah and i thought oh, sure, i've never heard that but then i do know i mean when i have to read with my seven-year-old nephew it's like the books he gets from school and no wonder he doesn't want to read them they're so boring um <laughs> So it's that that was really interesting as well, that kind of educational element of it and, and how she actually, this, this teacher, without her even understanding how she's done it, just by being lovely and kind and, and spending time with her, she magically is able to read. Yes. <laughs> so this woman with no qualifications, who apparently doesn't know what she's doing, still manages to do yeah.
2: something.
0: through <laughs> actually listening and, and supporting and helping a child with what they need.
1: Yes, and in season 10 with this, R- relatively little about the actual classroom teaching but it, it is yeah. a lot about sort of how to be the spirit of the school and how to you know yeah. look after Well, the only scene the only thing i can remember is how he realizes that, the, that the, even the people who aren't great at physical education should have a lot more time to do it and i thought oh, gosh how awful <laughs> leave them alone yeah. but they all seem to thrive and love it So um so yes i think as you say it's a may- very much a novel of two parts and i think one of the things um which is more about me than the book that i didn't respond to is that i find romance stories quite boring in general it's like um. i'm not particularly interested in whether or not a couple will get together um and i thought it was very beautifully Described and managed to get over the slightly creepy factor of him being twenty years older than her. <laughs> well, really you know, well. the time
0: it was written in Simon.
1: I know, yeah. But do you not find that's an obstacle you have to get over when you're reading a book? Maybe not. Well,
0: no, because I thought at the time that would have been quite common, wouldn't it? And also, he kind yeah. of knows the whole time that it's never he's, been very, in.
1: Yes, he is very self-aware about it. You know.
0: Um, and and I just that's the part. I found so heartbreaking. I was like, oh, this is the first time he's ever been in love, and it's not going to work. <laughs> Except with
1: his first wife.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, you know, but like you know, since then. Yeah. and this is the and he he so desperately want, wants her but at the same time he knows it's hopeless and I was just like maybe it's not going to be hopeless maybe they will get together um,
2: and yeah, yeah. I, I think just, I
1: only really care about people on soaps getting together
2: <laughs> not in novels man well
1: apparently I am I mean if he was wondering whether or not you should get a cat or something I'd have been much more on board with you know the, the anxieties and trials but
0: <laughs> you're like a nice cat honestly yeah. <laughs>
1: he's been quite good today he's not tried to attack the microphone
0: no he hasn't actually i did hear him hear meowing he a was meowing for there, a bit and
1: but... where he's gone now but... yeah. um so the only other dorothy Campbell fisher book i've read is the homemaker which i think is brilliant yes, um, indeed. but it did feel very different in terms of writing did it? Um, well i don't know if it's just because i've read the homemaker a long time ago but um, and it, obviously it's published nearly 20 <laughs> no 15 years earlier
2: um, maybe yeah, i'm not it's remembering just, very well i think
0: I think her style is quite similar. But I was thinking, actually, I've um, I've read the Brim, Brimming Cup, which I really enjoyed. That was actually my first Dorothy Campbell that I read. Mm. Um, and I've not ever read her Son's Wife, which I've had for donkey's years, and it's still on my shelf. So that will be tackled this year. <laughs> yes,
1: it's um, mine as well.
0: <laughs> and I, yeah, I think she's a wonderful writer, and and I I do strongly believe that she's incredibly underrated, and it's sad to me that. Her books have been out of print for so long and she's been left to be republished by feminist presses because, you know, this this novel, for example, is would be a, a wonderful novel to read within the context of World War Two and attitudes towards mm-hmm. American um American responses to World War Two. And, and it also very much challenges what people a lot of people say about, oh, well, people didn't know what was happening in Germany. People didn't. People didn't see it coming. People very much did. Um, and again, when you read historical fiction, you have that kind of a lot of the time it's the characters are all completely unaware and ignorant and shocked and everything. So well, I didn't really think it was like that.
1: Um, yes, I think certainly like, to some things like extermination camps perhaps they didn't know about but they certainly were not only aware that there was this discrimination against Jews but we've we sometimes forget I think how much discrimination against Jews there was everywhere else as well so yeah yeah it's not just a Germany issue or or, you know exactly
0: exactly and I think it's really important to to see that and you don't you don't really come across that that much in fiction and I think that this is is a wonderful example and I think it's also a great example of a book about schools and about education, which is something that's obviously that's very interesting to me. Of course,
2: yeah. um,
0: But again, you don't really see that a lot in books that aren't school books or books for kids. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's what makes it something that's quite special to me, even though I acknowledge everything you say about
2: <laughs> its structural
0: flaws. Um, I think, you know, she was writing a book that then became something else um, and she didn't quite know how to... Just sort of squish some together.
1: on, plow on. Yeah. Well,
0: you know, I'm going to put this in and we'll just hope for the best. Um, but I, I do think it's worth reading for its historical significance.
1: So I was reading it on the London Underground a while ago, or a week or so ago, and a gentleman who was probably oh! um, about 60 opposite me leant forward and said, I just want to tell you that I love the title of that book. But then he asked me <gasps> if it was non-fiction. I was like, no, I'm not reading a book about timber on <laughs> the <laughs> um yeah so then i explained to him what it was about and then perhaps slightly awkward explaining it did
0: his eyes then glaze over
1: and we said oh that sounds even more interesting but then he got off the tube there you go maybe he'll have gone and hunted it out maybe he's listening hello old man from train if you (laughs) are well
0: and you know what this disproves what you always say about cities being unfriendly
1: oh he was a tourist (laughs) well, <laughs> i assume it's the second you time actually, you some, don't know it's the second time someone's asked me about what i was reading on the tube and the first time he it was um cinderella goes to the morgue by nancy spain and he just lent over and said I'm, i've got to say i've never it's been a long time since i saw someone reading a hardback what is it called and i showed it to him and he said i've never even heard of this book <laughs> As, as though he might have heard of all the books. Yeah. It's just the only one he hadn't. But so yeah, someone who talks to someone else on the Tube has to be a Taurus, right? No Londoner's going to do that.
0: No, occasionally I will talk to people on the Tube. It not if I to see... like you're sitting
1: on my coat or something.
0: I have, uh, no. I, like, for example, if I see someone reading a Persephone book or something, I'll, I'll lean over and be like, oh um have you uh have you read like this one by them or something else i mean most of the time people look at you with shock horror do they
1: mace you in the eyes like <laughs>
0: yeah, why are you talking to me um but obviously i'm very nice so um,
1: <laughs> sorry yes no, no, uh, no
0: i'm very nice you're
1: lovely you're great
0: thank you very much um unsolicited so I'm,
1: testimonial
0: <laughs> I, i'm just gonna say i'm upset that you're in london and didn't tell me but there we are
1: oh, i think you will see
0: two plays back to back won't you
1: I was, yeah. Are you rustling crisps or something in the background? Yeah,
0: sorry, I'm just attempting to finish making my curry. I'm just putting some coriander in.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's very noisy. It's
0: very rustly, I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Such a modest task. Yes, I'm sorry, I was, going, I was seeing back-to-back plays, which was mostly fun, but I would not really factored in that I had to spend an hour sitting in a bus station, <laughs> which was less fun. Oh, no.
2: You um, could um, should have come and stayed here.
1: Really should have done. Well, I had to, get, had to get back for church the next day. And they closed the Hamp, not Hampstead, um, H, begins of H, it's past Paddington.
2: Hammersmith and the City line? Hammersmith,
1: they closed the Hammersmith City line between Hammersmith and Paddington. Oh, that, and always,
0: that line's always closed, uh, Simon so never takes
1: the it. The theatre was in Hammersmith, and I had to get back to Paddington. It was a nightmare. Well, it was
0: fine, Gosh. actually.
1: Luckily, oh. it was a really short play, so it's okay.
2: They're great. We did anyway. rather- <laughs> anyway
1: yes so um i think it's probably clear since we both pick books that we really love which one we're going to pick but let's go through the motions i am going to choose my beloved blue remembered hills
0: and i'm going to choose my beloved season timber but i think you know what's really interesting about this is that we think that we know each other's taste really well but sometimes we can get it wrong
1: yeah yeah it's true because i i was certain i was onto a good thing this time i mean mean, not not a bad thing we both like the other one's books quite a lot yeah
0: i mean i thought i was going to love it because I do trust your judgment. And when I, I mean, and I actually found it in Waterstones of all places, they had a display of slightly fox books. And, um, I, I thought, I looked at the back and I thought, oh yeah, this is going to be right up my street. Um, and then I started reading and I was like, oh, actually, I'm not, I'm not loving this. And I thought, oh, it'll get better. It'll get better. Simon wouldn't have recommended me. <laughs> this for no reason and yeah i just didn't fall in love with it which i'm I'm sad about but i will i'm i think it's something i would i'd be happy to read again which is always a good sign isn't it
1: well that is definitely a good sign i'm sorry that it was not a great love but and i toyed with recommending it was i I was going between back and forth between that and look back with love by dodie smith which is another slightly foxed edition they did her first childhood
0: Mm, i might have enjoyed that more because Uh, i've read her book
1: maybe i should have gone that way but i i read them both the same year and they were both amongst my favorite books of that year but next time we do this maybe next year we'll we'll be able to hone it still further (laughs) yes um and in the next episode we'll be looking at another in fact two two pairs of charter memoirs um or a pair of charter memoirs rather period piece by gwen revere is that you pronounce that i don't know Rat? I
2: think it's Reverat, isn't it? I'm not Ad sure. Rat. Okay. Um,
1: no. And A London Child of the 1870s by Molly Hughes. Um, yes. Yes, which I, I've not read either of them. And you've read period piece so far, sorry.
0: No, I've read both of them. I've read both of um,
1: them, ah.
0: But I, I would have to, I think, probably London Child, I will re- reread. My copy of which was uh, given to me by the lovely Dolly. Ah, lovely so
1: Dolly. We love I loving.
0: shall look forward to reading that again. Oh.
1: Ah. And yes, do let us know any topics we should do, um, and yeah, any book suggestions? Sure, why not? Yeah. And Rachel, you're going to get your books in library thing soon, aren't you? So they'll be able to compare. Yes. No, Simon
0: keeps nagging me about I it. I do. <laughs> and you don't understand how long it takes for someone who's technologically challenged, but <laughs> I will, um, I will make the effort to do so. Yes. And then we'll be able to do this much more effectively, won't we?
1: We will. It'll be a whole new world.
0: And other people will be able to see it, won't they? Because you can make it public.
1: Yeah, yeah, they can. Mm-hmm. Okay. Indeed, if anyone currently wants to go and see which books I own, you can go to librarything, I don't know, .com and look up Stuck in a Book um, <laughs> with hyphens in it. Um And you can see not only that, which ones I own, but I've tagged them red if I've read them. So, so tell me what I should read from my own books. <laughs> 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 or, you know, just live your life. Up to you. Yeah. Um, and tell us how to pronounce R A V E R A T.
0: French, so I'm presuming it is but... I don't know how an English person would say it.
1: Oh,
0: Lots of R's in there that's difficult to say.
1: I'll stick with Molly Hughes. I know where I am with Molly Hughes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Great. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll speak to you next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can find all the books and authors we mentioned over at stuckinabook.com. And you can support the podcast at patreon.com forward slash T or books. Many thanks to those who do. Particular thanks to Liana, Gracie, Randy, Mark and Elizabeth. And we'll speak to you next time. Bye. (laughs)